You're listening to the Passion and Perspective podcast brought to you by Sporting Chance Media and supported by the Western Weekender. For three decades, Penrith and the Blue Mountains have turned to the Western Weekender. Visit westernweekender.com.au or find your copy every Friday. Here is your host, Jonathan Robinson-Lees. Welcome to the latest episode of the Passion and Perspective podcast, where today we are chatting with Rihanna Lotta. A proud Ewan woman, Rihanna promotes messages of community, cohesion and connection through her artwork. Her business, Yundabar, is a representation of Rihanna's proud Aboriginal heritage and connection to culture. Whilst at times it has been a trying journey for Rihanna, she maintains a positive and refreshing view on life. Please enjoy the latest episode of the Passion and Perspective podcast. Rihanna, welcome to the Passion and Perspective podcast. Thanks for having me. Rihanna, your purpose-led and meaningful artwork has been seen across Australia and around the world with the Australian Paralympic team, Sydney Thunder and various community projects. What has it meant to you to see your artwork out in the public eye? It's insane, to be honest. I would say that the my dream was to always share my art and my culture and I found that, yeah, bringing sort of my love of sport and art together was the best way for me to do that at the time. And I started doing that. And then as like I've grown pretty much, you know, companies are coming on board that aren't involved in sport. And that's been really cool just to see like, yeah, art bring people together. And I think that's the the coolest part about it is that, yeah, just doing art can actually bring, you know, people together through, you know, creativity, which is really cool. And did you ever envisage it getting as big as it is? Not really. Uh, it started, um, I actually moved out of home when I was 18 and I moved to Sydney, didn't know anyone. So I moved into Mascot to start and then I ended up in Sutherland. And I found that I just didn't know anyone, didn't have any friends, wasn't involved in the local community, and especially like in the Indigenous community. And I went back home one day and no one was there and I just kind of saw some paint laying around and a canvas and I just painted and I was really struggling for money at the time and found that yeah I just went to markets and sold my art really cheap and it just went down and it just went a bit crazy and I kept on going to markets uh, you know posted on social media created sort of a page and and uh, named my business um, which was after my grandfather and then it just kind of took off. Sydney Sydney Thunder and Sixers were the first team to actually um, approach me about doing a jersey. So that was the first one I did back in 2016. And it was for like their community teams, which was really cool. And did you find when you started selling your art at markets, you know, you got the commission from Sydney Thunder and Sydney Sixers, did you find your self-confidence was growing with the success of your art? Yeah, it felt a, a little bit too good to be true because it was like, you know, something that I really enjoyed and I don't know, like my like my sort of vision of work when I was younger was just that it wasn't enjoyable. And then to find something that brought me money, brought me happiness and, and enabled me to connect with people, especially when I was feeling really alone. Like it was, it was insane to just feel like that connection and that vibe and then I just kind of ran with it and I didn't really have a plan and I still don't have a plan now like seven years on and I still you know don't really know what I'm doing I'm just kind of winging it but yeah people are yeah just sort of vibing with it as well so I'm just kind of like going with it I don't really have any uh any plan at the moment how important do you think it is for any creative out there in the industry to 
to back themselves and just to put stuff out there because I think sometimes in society we want perfection before we do anything. Do you think it's important just to start churning out stuff and just put it out in the public? Yeah, for sure. I think that's like that's the most important thing is is just put your put your stuff out there and whether or not like people take to it at the start, it doesn't matter and and that's what I found like even though I had a few little sales, it wasn't like I was making, you know, enough money to survive or put food on the table. It was just something that you know, it's just little progress and, and I just kind of stuck with it. And even when it got hard, you know, I, I stuck sort of to that, that goal of um, eventually it being my full-time job. But, you know, I have a lot of friends and family that just paint for fun and, and just sell. And, like, there's no sort of harm in, in just doing what you love, even if it doesn't bring you any money. Like, you know, people play sport, people, you know, sing or, or do sort of whatever. And it's just like creativity is the same you know you can just be creative without it being like a full-time job or without having to make lots of money like it doesn't make you any less a creative than anyone that's making money and in your late teens early 20s as I said living at a home in Sydney were you quite open to feedback and criticism of your artwork were you happy to, to hear whatever people had to say yeah I think um just sort of the way that I grew up with my parents you know I never um had sort of everything given to me or I never had someone sort of always um hyping me up even if, even if I didn't do well like my, my dad was sort of my biggest critic so I was always very open to taking criticism but at the same time like I you know you're human as well so you always are uh, you know can feel affected by what people say but my sort of goal was you know like I'm gonna grow and I'm gonna get better and I've got to be open to taking criticism but at the same time it was difficult to start uh, but now when I work with companies, you know, we're going back and forth with paintings and designs and, and I'm just kind of rolling with it. Like if they're not happy with something, like I try not to, to take that personally. And that's purely, you know, my sort of journey with working with businesses. Like I've had some businesses that have just knocked me back time after time with my designs. So it's kind of made me stronger to where I don't see it as a personal attack. And I think that's just growing up and maturing as well. Cause you, you know, you're talking me being 18 and you know, finally seeing what the real world's like and, and not everyone's, you know, happy and, and nice all the time. So I think, you know, just maturing, you know, to being 26 now and, and not sort of being worried when, you know, when companies turn me down or, or designs or anything like we just kind of work through that. And Rihanna, you grew up in the Southern Highlands in the town of Willowvale. What was your childhood like? It was really good. Um, I was the youngest of four, so the Highlands is a beautiful place and it's a great place to th um, to grow up. So, you know, just, I, I was very sporty. You know, I was like, had, you know, two older brothers that were really um, into sports. So, and my dad was also into sports. So I just played that. I didn't paint at all really growing up. It was just kind of on the uh, rare occasion. My sister was really creative and so was my mom. So I would just kind of like play, um, sort of paint with them during wet weather and when things are off but my sole focus was sport so me growing up was just sport that was kind of my whole thing like always outside you know always in the bush you know our sort of yard actually was bush like we didn't even have a fence so we had um you know cubby houses in there and stuff so like we were just never inside so that was kind of my childhood all together was just yeah was there any particular sport that drew your attention at a young age yeah i would say um soccer was something that i played from when I was about four but I played cricket I started that when I was quite young too and I kind of like soccer and cricket were kind of my main focus and cricket became more more of a focus as I got older and I found that like I was kind of moving up the ranks with that um, but I always sort of lacked that uh that drive to to go further but yeah I would say that cricket and soccer and, and then I just kind of 
played any sport and especially at school like anything to get me out of school I was um that kind of person so I'd, you know play netball hockey like whatever um yeah my growing up is just like is solely sport that ex- exposure to sport the great outdoors the freedom and the adventure what impact do you think that had on your life it feeds like my creativity to be honest like I'm very inspired by things around me and and sort of connections to others and I think just playing sort of a team sport made me want to have that creative sort of flow where I'm actually like working with others to create artworks for them so rarely do I do artworks that are just from my perspective and people buy them like I'm always working with my clients and and um and companies sort of around Australia like to make sure that their story is heard and I kind of see it as like my job is to bring you know their story out through you know my creativity and through my artwork and you've been involved in the education system in a, a range of roles mm-hmm. today do you think we're lacking a bit of freedom and adventure in the school system or do you think there's still an, enough opportunity for kids these days i think there is opportunity but i would say that you know we're still sort of like stuck in that way of not allowing kids to be very creative but i would say that kids do have opportunities to be creative um it's just it's very much like like the the sole focus is academics obviously so the school that I was in I was just working as an Aboriginal education officer and my sole job was just to keep kids in school and that was purely academics and then we kind of touched on culture and we touched on art so I never really um I haven't been in the education system a lot to know you know what it's actually like but I would say from my point of view you know kids wanted to be more creative than than what that was sort of allowed to be. And your time at school, both primary school and high school, what was that experience like and what role did art play? Um, so art actually had little to no sort of role in my in my upbringing. It was something that like I was really connected to my culture. So I was an active member of, you know, my Indigenous community and, you know, really involved in everything that was going on. But I would say that, you know, I was only painting like on the rare occasion. And even though I had like a lot of creativity in me, I was very obsessed with sport and obsessed to be like my brothers so you know whatever they were doing I was doing and um yeah I didn't have that sort of art until I was about you know 18 but I did enter a few sort of um local competitions and local sort of um sellings of you know indigenous art in in local galleries so I was making you know the $30 painting commission here and there when I was growing up which I thought was really cool but it wasn't until I hit 18 that I kind of was like oh maybe I don't really know what I'm doing with my life I'm kind of just you know, working at the AFL and, and just kicking the ball around with kids. And I just saw it as like a, a really big opportunity to, to explore more into my creative side. And now that's overtaken, you know, my entire life, which is really cool. As a young girl, as you said, you, you did painting and artwork with your mum and sister at a very young age, more or less when sport wasn't happening. Do you recall that feeling when you were taking part in art? Was there a certain element of flow or an enjoyment that came with it? Yeah, for sure. I really enjoyed it. And I, I think the thing as a kid, like I really liked someone, maybe because I, I sort of, as being the youngest kid in everyone thinks that the youngest kid's quite spoiled and, and I was, but I, I felt like I was always, you know, wanted the desire to like be sort of appreciated. And I think that even though I was, um, it was really hard. My relationship with my dad was, you know, very sport orientated. He was my team coach and, and he would never sort of, you know, give me any compliments around anyone else. So I think I craved that a bit. And, and when I did art, you know, I just, I felt like, um, you know, someone really liked it and, and sort of spoke to me about it and, and made me feel like, 
yeah, I don't know, just excited and, and like, I just kind of gravitated to that feeling of like, yeah, just being able to connect with someone on, on that sort of level and yeah. Rihanna, you said to me before today's chat that in the sporting context, you achieved success because you reached the top of your ability. Mm-hmm. Where did your sporting endeavours take you? Uh, so the highest would probably be um, in cricket. And, you know, I was playing first grade in Sydney, you know, opening bowler and, and, and did that for a few years. I just started um, cricket in first grade when I was about 13 and faced Elise Perry, like, my first game. And she was fast. Like, I didn't even see the ball. It just went straight past me. And um, she was just making into the Australian team at the time. So she was, you know, probably 19, 20 or something. Yeah, that was really intense, um, that whole sort of process of, yeah, cricket and then um, as I've sort of continued, I was in like you know, the emerging breakers and stuff, but I just, like I know that art, I know that art was my calling because, you know, I just kind of never had that desire to, to do more when I got to that level. And I think I had the ability, but I just didn't have the drive to, to go further. But playing, you know, for New South Wales in the um, Indigenous team would probably be like what I look at being my highest moment in sport and, and travelling um, to the Empire Cup. But yeah. And playing for your state in the Indigenous Cricket Championships, but also playing for your people, what did that mean to you? Uh, it's it's exciting because, like, I am so connected to my Indigenous culture. And, and I have, like, my mum obviously to thank for that, but I have my dad too that, you know, he's not Indigenous, but he really, like, allowed me to um, be really involved in my Indigenous culture. I'm only just starting to learn, you know, his side and his background and where we're from, like, on my non-Indigenous side. I actually went to Impaja when I was 13 and I was the youngest um, in the entire comp at the time but the first year we went there was only I think there was two states and then all the, all the rest were community teams so we kind of went up there and uh, and probably were playing at a lower level than what sort of our girls were because a lot of us were playing first grade but the going up there is just like is probably the highlight of my life because you just get to like your eyes just open, I would say. Like, that's the easiest way to put it is, like, you see, you know, Indigenous people from all around Australia and everyone has their own stories. And there was a really special moment and it was in um, 2008 and they had the... Kevin Rudd had done the apology and we're all sitting, like, all of us were sitting and watching the big screen and we watched the apology together and I think that was, like, such an insane moment because you had Indigenous people from all around Australia, like, people that struggled with different things, remote sort of communities, and then, you know, the city folk, like, um, us, and, and I think Queensland were there too, so I would say that, like, that's such a special thing, like, sport is really important to me, but my culture is, like, my number one priority, so to be able to bring that together and, and play a game that I loved was really, really cool. And what were you able to learn from, say, the older Indigenous women at the national championships? I was really open-minded as a kid, and, like, that's me to a T at the moment. Like, I'm very, um, yeah, very open-minded as a person. So going there, I just I just took it all in. You know, I just I just listened, and we went out to, look, like, remote communities and, and saw the kids, and I think, like, that was a big eye-opener for me because I'd seen them, you know, kicking around, like, pretty much just a, a ball of dirt and, like, and getting, you know, having like the most fun that they've had um for a while like just doing that and, and I was coming from you know a suburban sort of area and and you know playing soccer and cricket and other sports and I think that was yeah really cool just to see like remote communities and um it opened my mind so I would say that you know like I was quite open-minded already but that really like expanded my sort of thoughts on everything and how sort of very grateful for for what I had and and 
yeah, just got to see like what the rest of Australia is like and understand that, you know, we're very lucky to live here, but there's lots of areas that still need a lot of help. And what role do you think sport has in firstly showcasing culture, but then also bringing people together to celebrate culture? So I think that when like sport in, in itself brings us together and it, like that's sort of the biggest thing, like especially even if in any walk of life, like a team sport just, you know, allows everyone to be on an on a equal sort of level and, and I think that's the most beautiful thing that, that sport can do is just bring us together and it doesn't matter like where you're from or, or what you're, you know, what you're doing in your sort of life, like everyone's on that same sort of level and we all have that common goal and, and sport, you know, allows us to do that. And, you know, the best thing about Inkaji Kart was at the time, you know, there were games that were televised. So, you know, we were able to, like, share that with the rest of Australia and anyone that wanted to watch, which was really cool. And from that New South Wales experience playing at the National Championships, did you have ambitions to take your cricket further? Did you get kind of that itch to, go, to keep pushing yourself? Yeah, I did. I think, like, I was my biggest sort of enemy. Like, I think I just, I knew that I had the ability to go further and I and I sort of was in a you know a lot of representative training groups and teams and stuff and and I was always told that you know my ability was there but my drive just wasn't there and I think you know my calling has always been art and it took me a while to find that but yeah definitely wanted me like I wanted to continue um, my sport and and sort of get better in that but um, I didn't have that you know that desire like you you look at sort of Ash Gardner you know I played with Ash you know she was quite young when she came to Impaji Cup and from her just being like 13 years old her first year you just looked at her and you knew, you know, you knew she had it and you knew that she was going um, to play for Australia and she had that sort of drive, you know. And when I saw Ash through that, I just knew that, I, like, my drive just wasn't on the same level and her ability is insane too. Rihanna, as we touched on, you've had experience in the education industry working as an Aboriginal education officer. What key lessons and learnings were you looking to pass on to the students in that role? I think being proud is the biggest thing. I was working in Wollongong, you know, I was even like, I'm not that dark, you know, I was the darkest one there and a lot of our kids were very fair skinned and, and it was just that, that barrier of, you know, thinking you're less indigenous than someone else that has dark skin if you have light skin. And I think that was the hardest barrier to break. And, you know, I just kind of, I think like talking and just hanging out together and, and showing videos of, you know, fair skinned Indigenous people and how, you know, the good that they're doing and how proud they are. Because when you're trying to explain that to a 13, 14 year old that's still trying to figure out themselves at that age, that was the hardest barrier to get through. So that was purely, um, yeah, something that I, I guess I, I struggled with the most was just trying to get them to understand that, you know, they're allowed to be proud. Um, and they're allowed to, you know, feel like an Indigenous person, even if their skin's not as dark. And so that was like, the trickiest thing to do. And were you able to measure success, for lack of a better term, of your work? Was it kids taking on extracurricular programs, yeah. time spent at school? Were there any kind of performance indicators? Yeah, I would say um, attendance was very hard for a lot of our kids because they all sort of struggled with different things and they had different family sort of issues. So... Yeah, I would say that that was the the trickiest thing. And like, once you just got a kid that came for five days in a row, you know, that was just like a really big moment because, you know, this this child's always late or, you know, not at school every day of the week. So 
that was sort of how I measured it, I guess. Like once I just saw them coming to school and, and actually bringing, you know, the right equipment, you know, not having to lend pencils every day and stuff. You know, that was like how I measured sort of knowing that like things were happening. And then I also had one of my young girls that was really fair at this and at the start of the year, you know, wanted to do nothing, nothing to do with indigenous sort of culture, didn't feel that connection by the end of the year, you know, being extremely proud and doing the acknowledgement, you know, in front of the entire school. Um, and that was purely just conversations, talking about culture, you know, videos on YouTube, like we just kind of chatted about it. And then, you know, at the end of the year, when I saw that, that was um, a big moment for me that I felt like I made a difference. And how did you go with that responsibility? You were only young yourself, mm. but to be a mentor and to have such a direct influence on the lives of these young girls and boys, how did you feel with that? It's very, it was actually, um, I was still trying to find myself. I think and, and I was still trying to find what I wanted to do with my life and you know I was struggling mentally at the time as well so it was like even though I really enjoyed that experience I knew that like there was just something driving me to to more to do with my art and being able to connect with people through art so yeah I would say it was just it was really it was a really tricky time for me um, and I feel like I could have done more for the kids but I know that you know at that time I'd done the best that I could but you know, I was obviously quite young at the time when I was working, you know, in that sort of department. And and were there interest from yourself to continue to pursue education as a career? Not really. Like, I come from a family full of teachers. So, you know, I'd, I'd actually applied for primary teaching, got accepted, and then backed out. And then I applied again, and then I cancelled and, and backed out again. And I just think I, like, I was doing that because, you know, I came from a family full of teachers. And I knew that, like, teaching could be something that, you know, I would... I'd be good at and, and you know, I love kids and I love sort of um, educating, but like I felt like my art, you know, I was able to do that through culture and through art and, and I just kind of felt myself being dragged that way to the point where I actually took a year leave, uh, year leave without pay in 2020 um, and I had my role still for this year, but yeah, I'd actually left to pursue it full time and then COVID hit and it was all like a bit crazy but I you know technically I still have a job to go to go back to but I'd um yeah turn that down and continue it full time from 2021. Do you consider what might have happened if you had pursued that university course into primary teaching where you might be now you yeah. know five six years later? I think uh I wouldn't be doing as much art like I'm because I'm from a family full of teachers I know that you know there isn't much time to do everything that you want to do so I think it would have you know, sort of stopped my creativity to a degree. I know that I would have still been, I, I would still have my creativity coming out in some way, but I just know that, you know, it would have, like, just would have restricted me a little bit if I did teaching. And I knew that, I think I knew all along that I wasn't going to be a teacher, but um, I also didn't know what I was going to do. So I was just kind of like bumming around and knew that I had to make a decision. Um, but yeah, I can't imagine, I just couldn't imagine that I'd actually have, you know, got through the four years of uni. Like I think, I knew all along that it wasn't a, my calling. That late teens and early 20s, it's such a interesting age for anyone in terms of choosing careers, choosing mm. study. What advice or tips would you pass on to anyone kind of at that age where they're not sure what they should do? Yeah. Um, is it a matter of going and getting life experience, finding a job just to get the money coming in? What advice yeah. would you pass on? Yeah, it's tricky because like my, you know, my parents were from that generation of, you know, you kind of finish school, go to uni, get a job and you do that for the rest of your life. And I think our generation now is kind of like very happy to just float around and try new things. And but yeah, I would say that that's the thing. If you don't know what you want to do with your life, um, you know, find something that you enjoy 
and sort of you know go after that and if that's you know educating like for example then you know you know there's it's not just a teacher that can be an educator you know there's lots of other roles so life experience is what helps you decide what you want to do in the future. This is the Passion and Perspective podcast brought to you by Sporting Chance Media. For three decades, Penrith and the surrounding community has turned to the Western Weekender. Whether it's the Weekender's highly revered print edition or its up-to-date news offerings through its digital presence, the Weekender truly is the heartbeat of Penrith. Visit westernweekender.com.au or find your copy every Friday. Rana, you mentioned that you started painting again when you moved to Sydney and a big part of that was to connect back to culture. Why was that so important for you to, to really reinforce that cultural connection? I think uh, growing up, I was really connected, and my mum's a um, you know a local sort of member of our community and, and really respected. And I think um, yeah, as soon as I moved out, I just kind of lost it. You know, I lost sort of that that connection, and and that was purely because you know I didn't sort of it was my own fault because I didn't go and you know involve myself in the local community or anything. But I think it was all I knew, and then you know it just sort of disappeared so quickly when I decided to move that I just had that craving and I just felt really lost. And, you know, at that point, you know, I just moved out of home. I didn't want to move out of home, but I think that, you know, my relationship with some of my family members and, um, you know, where I was at in my life, I just needed to move on and not move on from the family, but just move on to, uh, you know, gain new experiences and, and just sort of see what's out there. So I think it was just because I knew it, you know, that was, that was the core of who I was is, you know, being Indigenous and being proud of that. And then I just sort of, found myself sitting at home, going to work, coming home and just barely being able to put food on the table with the, the trainee wage that I was on. So art just enabled me to make, you know, make money, connect back to my culture and it just kind of gave me a, a feeling of getting my identity back. And a big part of your artwork, a big part of your inspiration is, is to be unique and to break down barriers that mm. Aboriginal art is more than just a canvas, you know, it's more than just rock painting that a lot yeah. of people perceive yeah how much of it is about telling the story and how much is about breaking that perception yeah it's like a 50 50 because like for me you know i want to be unique and i want to bring art onto new surfaces and show art in everyday products and i think as sort of society like as a society we are moving away from you know canvas on the walls because you've got you know kmart and target and big w that are doing these beautiful prints for twenty dollars and a lot of people are, and are opting to, you know, purchase that rather than pay, you know, for an artwork because Indigenous art does take a, a very long time. So I would say that, yeah, just trying to be, trying to break down that barrier that you can't have, you know, a, sort of an artwork on a drink bottle or you can't have, you know, an artwork on a phone case. And I was just trying to do new things and, and sort of bring art to, you know, everyone's eyes to where it became part of our everyday life you know it wasn't something that you would go to the NT and you'd purchase an artwork or you'd go into a gallery and see indigenous art it's you know it's right in front of you and it's used on everyday products and that's what I've wanted to to do and then obviously my obsession with sport I wanted to be able to connect the two and bring those two together but that's how it started I guess um, it started by me wanting to combine the two and now I just want to bring art to everyone and and show how beautiful our culture is and you know, it's not just sort of, you know, ochre colours and it's not just, you know, browns and things like there are sort of contemporary designs out there and I just want to, yeah, share all that. 
And breaking down those barriers, have you felt a sense of expectation, I guess, on behalf of your community? Because you are trailblazing in a sense. I would say, like, art, there's so many artists out there, and I think the the biggest thing, like, I always get asked, you know, how I've been able to turn it into a full-time, a full-time job and how, you know, I'm able to survive off that. And the thing is, is, like, being proactive. And I think, yeah, Indigenous people like as a whole you know we can we can sometimes just sit back and, and just see how things go and I think like going after it and I've just sort of looked up to other artists around you know Australia and and seeing what they're doing and just trying to like break that next barrier of you know where we can see art but it is you know it's an expectation but there are so, so many beautiful artists out there that are, that are doing great work so I don't think that um yeah, I don't take it lightly but I know that you know with as a as a community of artists you know we're doing some really good stuff and are there any particular idols, people you've looked up to in this space? Yeah, I would say that they're actually, um, you know, just not very well-known artists. So they're just artists that I see that just share their stuff on Facebook. And, yeah, they have, you know, like a thousand likes on Facebook. And they're just sort of, yeah, just, I don't know, just sort of doing their own thing. And I mean, I don't really have anyone that's, like, very high up there with, like, um, someone that I look up to. I just kind of look at everyday people and... And I think that's cool. Just that's how I feel. Like I feel like I'm a nobody to a sense. So I just kind of like thrive off, you know, everyone else that's just like trying to grind at the moment. But there are like a few sort of graphic designers that I really like as well. One um one guy's actually Sean. He has like um he does like rapping and and graphic designing and he does painting and he just like is grinding every single day to kind of make it a full time job. So he's someone that I look up to and. You know, he's someone that's not even known. And on the mentor side, has there been someone who has helped guide you on this journey or maybe has opened a few doors for you or given you really important feedback along the way? Yeah, so definitely my, my family would be my number one. Mum's always been very, yeah, like I'll, I'll talk to her about nearly all of my sort of programs and commissions and stuff that's going on. She's sort of uh, my biggest supporter. But then also recently it's been like Steph Tisdale, who's a, an Aboriginal comedian, and she's actually opened up, you know, a lot of doors to, um, yeah, just connect with more people and, and companies. But I would say that I haven't really had that one person that's someone that I'll always, like, besides my mum, someone that I'll always go to. It's always been just kind of my, like by myself, I guess. And, um, yeah, I had, like, a, a relationship where for five years and, and um, she was really supportive. So it was just kind of like I was working, you know, with her and she wasn't Indigenous and... And now I just kind of, yeah, I guess do it by myself is kind of the, the thing like, yeah, I don't really have, yeah, I don't really have an answer. I, I don't know. Like I would say that mum's probably the, the only one that actually like is my mentor. And are you quite critical of your own work? Yeah. So critical that, you know, nearly every piece that I do, I'll, I'll turn around and be like, oh, that sucks. That sucks. Like, and it's purely because I just, I crave perfection when it doesn't exist. And I think that, you know, is just sort of us as people and as a society, we can crave sort of perfection and, and really perfection doesn't exist. So um, it's an internal battle that I have every day of just appreciating what I've done. And, and there are some artworks that I have liked, but there's probably nothing I've ever been really happy with. And I think that's why I sort of always drive for better and I drive for more with my art and and just try and um, yeah work with more businesses because I just get that craving of wanting to do more, to crave this perfection at the end. But you know I know that it's not there. When you yeah. put a piece of work out there and say social media and you get incredible feedback or a piece in in the flesh and people see it and they give you amazing feedback, 
do you take the moment to say, you know what, I'm proud of that. That, <laughs> was, that was a good piece of work. No, <laughs> I, I think it's, it's tricky because I don't like my, my dad is actually probably the reason why I'm like this. And, and that's very much a, yeah, I don't I'm quite modest. Um, and I always have been that way. If anyone's ever talked about me, even as a young kid, you know, with sport, like I was always someone that just didn't want to talk about it. And I didn't want to be, you know, pulled up on the stage after I'd done some sort of sport thing at school. And I found that really embarrassing. And, and I felt the way that I felt was that it was, you know, like, look at me, look at me mentality. And, and I think, you know, I don't like that. And I don't like being that kind of person. So even if I've done something really good for a, a company such as, you know, Spec Savers for the glasses, it was really hard for me to sit there and actually be like, hey, Ray, that's a really good, you know, really good painting or whatever. And it's really hard to kind of just to take that all in. But it's something that I'm working on. You know, I think it's important to actually sit back in and for a minute just enjoy the moment and because you've worked really hard. And do you think that's common with artists of any genre, just that natural self-criticism? Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's very natural. Rihanna, your work, you sell original art to companies and people all over Australia, and as we've talked about, you are self-employed. How did you get that momentum up, you know, from transitioning from working in education to becoming a full-time artist? Yeah. How did you go about building that momentum and eventually making the, the switch across? Yeah, I actually, this is a question I get asked all the time, and that's, that. yeah, how did you get to where you are? And, and I think, whatever I say, I always say it's just like, I was purely proactive. So, like, I chased it. I emailed people, I contacted different companies, I shared my work all the time, you know, and even though that was quite hard as someone that didn't want to, like, um, show off, at, as, at the same time I, I wanted to share my work and I wanted to get more. So being proactive is number one, and then being kind and being open-minded. Um, they're, the, like, they're the two sort of, well, they're the three reasons that I've been able to actually work with such high companies because I come in just, you know, nice and open-minded and I'm flexible and I'm happy to kind of, you know, tell their story through my art and not sort of restrict them in any way and I think that's how I've been able to yeah sort of create at a high level because I've just been a nice person and and open-minded and flexible and yeah just proactive always chasing it is that some more advice you'd pass on to other people is the the importance of those client stakeholder relationships yeah nothing's ever gonna you know you're not gonna get what you want unless you put in the the effort and the, and the work for it so you know if there's something that you want you know if you don't put in work if you don't be proactive and you don't chase it it's never gonna happen so that's kind of the mentality that I lived by and and now I'm at you know when you do all that hard work you get to a point where things actually start coming your way based off the hard work that you've done so you know I worked hard for five years and now I have companies that reach out to me that want to work together because you know my name's out there and because you know CEOs talk to each other and people talk to each other and and if you're kind and if you're you know open-minded like they're gonna share you know your name around so that's how I've been able to kind of build that momentum is is those three key factors. And do you recall the feeling and I guess the moment when you knew okay I'm a full-time artist that your priorities had shifted? Yeah it was um it was last year when I actually walked out of the school my last day I kind of just sat there and I was like like when everything went through my head of like is this a good idea like is this actually going to happen and I'd actually made the decision to move home because even though I was so ready to, to take on the challenge, I was so not ready to, for the, the commitment of you need to pay rent, you need to pay like other bills. So um, I hit up mum and dad and, and went back home and worked out of you know the spare room doing my art just as a backup in case things didn't work out. 
yeah, so I always had that plan B as well. How do you go when people come to you and say, geez, Rihanna, you're lucky that you run your own business. You're lucky that you're an artist. Do you find that hard when people don't appreciate the sacrifice that you've made, but also the hard work that's been put into yeah, it? Yeah, I think people think that things are easy for small businesses and for people that are doing what they love and, you know, it's not working. It's like when you're, you know, when you're an artist or when you're sort of a small business, especially in the creative field, like you, you don't have any time off. So, you know, I'll be getting messages like I'll be working till, you know, 11 p.m. at night writing back to people because no one else is going to do it. So, and I don't have a closed time and because you, you know, you're paying your bills, you kind of need to be, you know, always open so that you don't miss any opportunities. So I would say that, you know, there's a massive sacrifice that I had to take with my personal life and, and not going out as much, not sort of being able to always hang out with friends and that. But I was really lucky to have supportive sort of people around me that knew that, you know, I was doing this really like I was trying to work really really hard and then hopefully like there will come a time where things will happen without me having to you know sacrifice a lot of my life but I'm eight years in or seven years in and still sacrificing so much to to run it but then I know that you know it's there's nothing more that I want to do. Is there a spark you get from running your own business and putting your own work out there some and was that spark bigger than you expected? Yeah it's like a, a spark but then it's also like fear so you kind of, it's the same as like if you wrote, you know, if you wrote a song and you put it out there and you're always going to be like really excited that you wrote this song, but you're always going to be worried about like how it's going to be taken, what people are going to say and people are going to have the right to, you know, criticize that. So I think it's the same thing with art. You know, I'll put a piece out there and, and I'll try not to get my hopes up of thinking it's a really good piece because like sometimes you get like the negative comments and you get people that don't, you know, understand or don't see, you know, what you see. And that's also like a, a human sort of behaviour. What ambition do you have then for the business? As you say, you've kind of gone full-time this past year to 18 months. Where do you want to see it go? Um, to where I never work for anyone for the rest of my life is my goal. Um, I'm in a position now where I'm planning to get married and, and have a family and stuff. And it's quite lucky because I'll be home, you know, I'll be able to sort of take care of the kids uh, while, you know, my wife works and stuff. So um, I kind of see it more turning into products rather than so many like so many canvases yeah just working like canvases take so long and then that's why artists like find it so hard to survive when you just paint on canvas because you know you you might spend 14 hours on it and then you only can charge like 400 dollars because it's a small size and and all that so i'm kind of pushing more to the product line um sort of releasing polos and um and different clothings and just trying to build it so that you know while I'm sleeping, you know, people are buying my art. That's kind of the, the plan. That shift yeah. in business mentality from canvas to product, is that something you've just picked up over time? Or again, was there someone who kind of pointed you in that direction? I would say that it's something that a lot of my audience talks about, like, oh, you know, that'd be great on a shirt or that'd be great on this or that or candles or, or whatever. So I think it was kind of like a, an automatic sort of shift. Like it was just kind of naturally happening. Um, but at the same time, I have a lot of people that follow me for my art, so it's really difficult trying to find, you know, that balance between still producing on canvas because that's what people followed you for and, and they want to purchase your art on canvas, but at the same time, you know that that's not sustainable financially, so you're trying to release products at the same time, so that's the trickiest part is just trying to find that balance. Like, I still want to paint on canvas, but... Um, at the same time, painting something once and then having it replicated, you know, a thousand times is going to be a lot easier than painting something a thousand times. Yeah, so it's just trying to find that balance, I guess, and hopefully it'll be, you know, 80% 
um, products and 20% canvas is kind of the idea. And this summer we've seen your design on the championship winning Sydney Thunder WBBL team, we've seen the men wearing it in the BBL, we've seen the Paralympic uniform, all with your design. What's number one on the bucket list? If you had to pick a team, a location, a product, yeah. to see your design out in the public eye, what would it be? Yeah, that's, that's so tricky. I think if you're talking sport, probably an Australian team. So the Paralympics was really cool. So I think anything to that sort of stature would be really, um, yeah, really cool. And then I think with companies that are outside of sport, just anyone that's making a difference. You know, I worked with the Fred Hollows Foundation, Specsavers, that are obviously supporting them and then also reach out and I just want to yeah just work with companies that are doing good you know I think that's like that's more important than anything else is to work with a company that you know is sustainable and and you know is thinking like eco-minded um is really yeah a sort of important thing to me as well as being very eco-friendly with my business so um anyone that's making a difference is probably what I'm aiming to do um yeah, just trying to work with a big company like that but right now the Fred Hollers and Reach Out has been really cool. And you're a proud UN woman, and as you said, culture's been a big part of your upbringing and your life to this point. How do you try to bring your culture and your family's history into your artwork? Yeah, so the tricky thing with like Indigenous people as a whole, you know, like sometimes we're not growing up on the area that we're actually from. So even though I'm from Ewan, which is on the south coast, you know, I never lived there. I never sort of, you know, spent much time there. So I would say just trying to, yeah connect with my mom and my grandfather and stuff just be able to bring them all together and create art um that's probably like the coolest thing about you know just being indigenous is trying to like bring sort of my art together with my sort of culture and that's the whole purpose of it you know it isn't to make money it isn't to to work with cool companies or release cool products it's to core of it is to connect with my identity and your artwork do you like to prescribe emotions to the viewer or do you want them to interpret it how they see fit do you want them to to know exactly what story you're trying to convey or do you like leaving it open to interpretation a bit either way um i do both so um depending on what my client or customer wants you know sometimes it is from their perspective only where they're just saying like these are our values this is our story can you you know bring that into a, a painting for us and then I've got, you know, other people that are just like, we want you to be creative and we want you to, you know, bring this whole story to life on what you think. And it's from your perspective. Um, so I do both. Yeah. So it depends on the client. I love to work with someone more so than them selling, like telling me, you know, you do it. You just come up with a story. Like I prefer someone to sit and chat and talk about their story and try and bring that to life through Indigenous painting. And we've seen your work recently you've moved into work in the early education space uh, and using artwork at a range of childhood centers what role do you think art has in education at all ages and bringing people together yeah it's a very visual thing so i think for young kids especially you know it's that visual part of it like when they see sort of dot painting they can you know relate it to experiences that they've had in their center so um yeah i think that's what i love the most about working with kids in childcare because they're from all different backgrounds, all different cultures and religions and, um, you know, just doing this visual sort of concept with them because obviously when we're young, you know, we take things more in like visually rather than someone just speaking to us because, um, you know, I spend five weeks teaching them five symbols and they'll forget all of them, but they'll remember that art and when they see art, you know, three months later, they'll, they'll be able to relate that back to Indigenous art. And I think that's really cool trying to, 
get them from a, a young age to just appreciate and value Indigenous art and Indigenous culture as a whole, you know, is just going to lead to a better future. And do you sure. see that a big part of your work is getting awareness at a young age? Because you and I, going through our schooling years, probably didn't get enough mm. or definitely didn't get enough exposure to Aboriginal culture. Do you see your role at that young age about opening these kids' eyes and minds to the culture? Yeah, I think that's for all cultures and religions too because Australia is very multicultural now. So I would say that, you know, that's something that we lacked in our schooling. You know, I'd like learnt that Captain Cook had discovered Australia and, you know, and watched sort of, I'd watched different sort of movies about like Indigenous people and portrayed in sort of the wrong way and in that stereotypical way. So, you know, like I think now, um, especially in childcare centres, they're doing so much. You know, they're, they're really involving like that Indigenous culture. Some childcare centres um, do more than others, but everyone's now required. And I think that's the difference from when we were kids. You know, it wasn't really this requirement that you have to do this where, where now, you know, kids are, are sort of learning about the stolen generation in, in primary school, which is, um, which is quite insane because, you know, that's something that I didn't learn about in my entire schooling. And you're talking, you know, me being out of school almost 10 years. And what role do you see art and your art in reconciliation because it's been 2020 was an incredibly divisive year across the world do you see that as a bit of a responsibility as an artist to to get people talking to raise awareness for sure i think art just and even like every sense of sort of art you know brings people together and whether that's music or dance or if it's um painting or, or whatever like drawing whatever it is you know it brings us together and allows us to create sort of create this relationship with with people all around Australia and, and social media allows us to do that where where you know, we're able to you know showcase our culture to to everyone around Australia and, and the world which is really cool your style as an artist when you look back at maybe work you did as an 18 19 year old how much has it grown and developed as a style yeah it's um I've actually always stayed to dot art and I've always sort of I think from my mentality and um, I've always gone like want to do one thing and I want to do it really well so I've kind of always stayed in that dot art sort of form um, but it's definitely I've definitely been able to I'm better like I'm better able to portray stories now than what I was at 18 um, you know back then I was just kind of doing an animal and just dotting around it and and I didn't really have this sort of real intense story with it where now you know, I have an, an A4 sheet full of this whole story about one artwork that's half the size of one that I did that I was 18. And um, yeah, I think now I'm just able to better sort of create stories through artwork. And that's purely just, you know, learning as I've been like, getting older and, and learning more about my culture and being able to really bring that story into it. Because, you know, Indigenous people, we don't have a written language and we shared stories and knowledge through art. And I, that's what I'm trying to do now and just bring that back. The role, when we touched on it briefly, is artwork and sport. And I guess for you, it's, it's the coming together of, of two passions. What impact are you hoping to make specifically in the sporting sense? You know, whether it's designing jerseys, designing balls, designing boots. Yeah. What impact are you hoping to make there? Just to continue, so I, I've actually been very fortunate that I've worked with a lot of sporting organisations. And I think the coolest thing is that sport in Australia, like Australia is a very sporting sort of nation and um that brings us together so to be able to bring art onto that form it just opens the eyes and and allows sort of everyone to see it no matter what your stance is on any on anything to do with indigenous culture it just allows you to you know see it in a different light and see sort of you know this team to come together and your favorite team 
um, you know, wearing an Indigenous jersey and actually like just in being more sort of open to it, I think is the, the coolest part about connecting with sport and art together. And your creative process, now that it is full-time work for you, do you find that you need to set yourself time? So, you know, from nine till five, I'm going to be painting and designing or do you tend to kind of wait for that creative wave that people talk about yeah it's really tricky now because I when I started painting was just a hobby and and I wasn't getting these sort of commissions and um off clients or or customers or anything so now it's it's tricky because now it's a job so it's kind of like you know when you you get up in the morning and you don't really feel like going to work but you've got to go because you need to earn money it's it's the same kind of thing with art now like I'm kind of in the stance of like I have to paint even if I don't feel creative and that's because I have deadlines and I need to make sure that things are done on certain um at certain times and um, I don't have a schedule which I should have though um, but I'm very a bit flaky I kind of just you know I'll paint for a couple hours or I'll paint the entire day and then I'll work until 11 p.m and then I won't start work the next day till 2 p.m like I don't have that schedule um but I also like it's that thing of like now it's a job you know you even if you don't feel like it, you still have to do it. And I've lost that, that creative, like, I guess I've lost a bit of that creativity of just being able to sit and paint whatever you wanted. Because like right now I'm known for my blues and turtles and, and ocean sort of life. So most of my customers are always ordering in blues. So I don't get to kind of be creative and use other colors. Um, and that's the, the beauty of sort of, I guess it's a beauty. And then it's also like, um, what sucks about being an artist is like once you get you know to the point where people are ordering and stuff you just kind of have to paint what people want even if you don't you know feel that sort of creative on the day and do you make time to still create and paint as a hobby or is it all business now uh it's yeah it's mostly business um but because I'm still trying to juggle like I still play sport now you know I played AFL and soccer last year so I had Saturday and Sundays sort of booked out and then I was you know working in childcare centers so I didn't have that time to just, yeah, just create for the fun of it. Um, but I'm trying to do that more now. So I've just, I just painted a couple of artworks um, the other day and within 20 minutes, you know, one of them had sold and, it, you know, people are wanting me to be able to be creative, but at the same time, I do the entire business by myself. So I don't really have a lot of time and you also want to, you know, have time to spend with your, your partner or your loved ones or just kind of relax and play PS4, you know, whatever your sort of vibe is. Um, yeah, it's, it's tricky to have all the time in the world to just create, but I'm working on it, is, is the answer, yeah. This is the Passion and Perspective podcast brought to you by Sporting Chance Media. For three decades, Penrith and the surrounding community has turned to the Western Weekender. Whether it's the Weekender's highly revered print edition or its up-to-date news offerings through its digital presence, the Weekender truly is the heartbeat of Penrith. Visit westernweekender.com.au or find your copy every Friday. And Rihanna, you've been living with anxiety for around... 10 years now which you've described as it's an everyday internal battle what role has art played in, in helping you to mitigate that or, or help get through those tough times yeah so anxiety you know has, has been around for over 10 years in my life and yeah it's that everyday sort of struggle in, in art like with my anxiety like if I can get my mind off it I can generally sort of get myself out of a bad sort of thought process um, so art enables me to yeah just sit down and paint and focus on that because when you do art you know, you have to be looking at the canvas, you have to have full focus on what you're doing. And it's the same with, you know, a lot of hobbies, like you need to be thinking about 
what you're doing and not everything else that's going on in your head. So art, you know, has been a way to just kind of get my mind off things. But it was only, you know, last year that I actually um, tackled that by going to therapy. Um, and I have finished sort of therapy now, but it took me a very long time. I was just kind of always using art as a way to, to not sort of process the feelings or, or think about it. And then it got to the point where I was a bit too much to handle and, and I sort of, you know, had started talking to someone about it. And now, you know, I'm in a position now where I, I struggle with it every day, um, but it doesn't control my life like it did last year and a few years back. That's eight to nine year period. It's quite a time without, I guess, seeking that professional help. What advice would you pass on to someone who may be in a similar situation to you? Talk about it. That's the that's the thing that I wish, even though people, people have told me that, and I think we're our own worst critic, like we'll give out all this advice about like, you know, seek help, like it's important you talk about your issues but at the same time it is that it is really tricky to do that and that was actually you know an ex-partner of mine had sort of not forced me to do that but made it really clear that like I needed help and you know I needed to be able to talk about my um, issues and I think if you're struggling you know it's really important that you talk about it and there's ways to do that anonymous um, you can do that without actually you can do that without actually going to see someone you can talk to people online you can talk to friends family or there's like that professional help so I would say just just start the process. Um, it's always going to be difficult and it's always going to, you know, be a really hard time, but it's so important to, to talk about it because that's when you can actually start to heal and, and face sort of your inner demons. Um, in the end, like, you're always going to be better off for it. And if you're a close friend or a family member of someone who is experiencing mental health challenges, how should you approach it? Like, how did you like to be approached from someone who you yeah. trusted? Yeah, it was really tricky because in the end, like, you need to be ready to, to receive help. You can't help someone that doesn't want to be helped. The biggest thing for me was, you know, I was always very scared of what people thought. So from my anxiety and from my point of view, it was just listen. You know, don't don't um talk. Don't, you know, try and add in or don't try and tell them that you know how they feel. Um, that's sort of the... The, like the key sort of topics to, to stay away from is you know don't try and like come in and sort of share that pain with them because that doesn't work listening's the key and yeah if you're if you've got sort of someone in your life that is struggling just approach the topic but don't push it because in the end you know someone that's actually really struggling you know if they feel pushed and if they feel forced that they're, they're not going to open up to you and they're going to suppress those emotions and don't get angry if they're not ready to open up you know, I had that situation where, you know, um, I didn't want to talk about it and then people were getting frustrated with me because I didn't want to talk about it and that made me feel like I was suppressing it more because I, like, I, like I was feeling bad um, but then I also felt, like, attacked for how I felt. So listen, you know, don't judge and don't push if they're not ready to talk about it unless they're in danger. We've had a couple of guests on the Passion and Perspective podcast, creatives who have had their own mental health challenges mental health challenges and they've spoken about how I guess owning that mental health struggle they were worried they'd lose some creativity because there is a bit of a misconception that you need to have mental health challenges to be creative yeah. did you find that similar debate in your own yeah, life? Yeah I, I would say I definitely felt that but in the end you know I was, I was struggling that bad that I knew that I wasn't going to be able to do what I was doing for much longer unless I unless I faced it um, you know I was that's probably where, like, I can definitely, um, you know, I can definitely, I've definitely felt that way too. Um, but at the same time, the power of, like, you need to, you know, that, that other side of you need to get help was overpowering. 
you know, that sort of thought process of even if I lose everything, you know, that's okay because, you know, I need to face these inner demons. Yeah. Have you now got clarity, do you feel, in your in your life and your work? Yeah, owning it's the, the hardest thing and then it's also the best thing because now, you know, I still struggle with everything. I still overthink, you know, I still, you know, struggle to kind of leave the house sometimes or leave my bed. Um, but then just owning it is the, the hardest thing, but it's the best thing that you can do and just be like, you know, I understand that I feel that way, but I'm still going to get up. You know, it, like you have to acknowledge your feelings. And I think that's what I, the biggest thing I got from therapy was like telling myself when I was in an anxiety attack, it was, yeah, acknowledging that that was an anxiety attack, but understanding, like we went through the process of understanding, you know, how the brain works when you're in an anxiety attack and, and just sort of the, like that's sort of how I got myself out of that sort of thinking. But in the end, you know, my health was more important than anything else. And it took me a while to, to sort of realize that. And I had, you know, relationships and friendships fall apart because I didn't want to face, you know, what was going on in my own head. So that was more important than being creative. And I found that accepting it made me more creative and more open. So I'm kind of, yeah, I can understand how people feel that way. Um, But I didn't have that experience once I owned it. I was, yeah, still very creative and, wanted to push forward it's been an incredible eight to ten years for you both professionally and personally do you deliberately take time to stop and reflect and look back at the journey to this point um I would like to so I try to is probably the the biggest thing I think yeah it's it's tricky because like I still have that little girl inside of me that that doesn't want to think about the accomplishments and doesn't want to feel like I'm being cocky or arrogant or anything so I think that's like that's sort of an internal struggle is how do you you know think and appreciate a moment without that feeling of like you know I'm being cocky or anything coming out so yeah I would say that I'm trying every day to work on that um, but I'm definitely not there yet of actually sitting back and just being like wow you know I just worked for spec savers and, and you know people around Australia wearing the glasses that have my artwork artwork on it and they're purchasing it because of the artwork you know, like, that's crazy, like, it makes me laugh in my head, so I'm just kind of like, what, like, how does that, you know, how does that make sense, but, yeah, I, I try and, I try and appreciate the little moments, but it is, um, it is difficult. And where you're at now in your life, do you believe that as people we find ourselves or we create ourselves, like, do you think the path is laid out for people, or that every decision we make every day shapes where you end up? For sure, yeah, like, you carve your own path through the decisions that you make, and I think, just because you're on sort of one path in life doesn't mean that you, you, you're stuck on that forever. And I think as people, you know, we need to understand that, you know, you can you can carve new paths off one that you're on. If you're going down a dark path, like it doesn't mean you're stuck on that. There's ways to, to carve out of that. So um, I think that decisions we make, you know, every day um, will shape the person that we are. And would you change it at all, the journey to this point? Not at all. I think um, I've definitely had situations where I've kind of, been like oh you know wish I didn't do that or wish I didn't sort of react the way that I did because at the start you know it was really hard to to understand you know that when companies are when I was working with companies you know the way that they wrote emails I was always thinking like it was an attack and I think as I sort of got older I kind of yeah just realized that you know like you just grow like emotionally and, and you kind of get stronger yeah and your business and your work it continues to to grow and evolve what does the next six months or so have in store for you, Rihanna? Um, I actually have lots of commissions coming out, which is really cool, and which I can't talk about yet. Um, but yeah, so there's lots of things coming. I want to just continue the childcare programs. 
Um, so like I've already got sort of the next three months pretty chockers full of that, which is really cool. And also a clothing line, you know, I want to release polos. And my goal is actually to approach, you know, businesses and schools and actually start to get Indigenous artwork on school clothing, on their staff shirts, on their year six shirts. And, you know, in a, like I'm in a position now where I can actually grab, you know, companies logos and put it on the shirt and, and it be like a custom artwork that's for that business or for that school or for the kids and, and the kids can be involved in that artwork or the staff can. Um, that's sort of where I, I see just so much potential in, in bringing sort of artwork to everyday clothing, especially, you know, in the education sort of area. And that's what I see. Yeah, I guess that's what our plan is, just to keep pushing forward. And yeah, lots of like exciting commissions coming though, which I'm really keen to talk about. And Rhianna, how do people find out more about your work and also check out the, the products that are available, website and social media? Yeah, so my business is um is called Yandabar and it means red belly black snake, which is my grandfather's totem. Um, yeah, so you can find me on Facebook. Um, it's just Yandabar Aboriginal Art. It's very tricky to spell, but I'm sure they'll be able to access that. Um, and then the Instagram's just at Yandabar as well. And my website is yandabar.com.au. Rihanna, thank you so much for an inspiring and honest conversation. Wishing you all the best. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Passion and Perspective podcast brought to you by Sporting Chance Media and proudly presented by The Western Weekender. For more unique and inspiring stories from the Blue Mountains and Penrith region, Check out other episodes of the Passion and Perspective podcast. You can also listen to the latest series from Sporting Chance Media, Adventure Shorts, where we chat with local guests from the world of the great outdoors and hear some of their most memorable adventures. Search for Adventure Shorts on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast.